0: Hello podcast listeners, Yakko Warner here, star of Animaniacs That's right, who cares about Wacko and Dot, it's all about me baby You are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast (laughs) You're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast Serving the latest news in sci-fi multimedia And now your hosts, Scott and Miles Your table is ready Is long and prosperous. This is a captain. We have
1: a little problem with our entry sequence, so we may experience some slight turbulence and then explode.
0: I got a bad feeling about this. Walter, well, put the cowboy,
2: would you? What is this place? It's a free show. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 180. And I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog, and I'm your only host this afternoon. Miles has other obligations like real life jobs uh, while the rest of us kind of suffer through this heat. He's actually working on air conditioning today, so that's what he does. And uh, it sounds like a good job unless you're outside doing it. So. Um, but with me in the studio, have well, not really with me, but virtually I have with me uh, two fine folks that have been on the show before, <laughs> J.W. Holmes and Mark Brer, both of them who have been on the podcast, I guess, a little over a year ago. Is that right, guys?
1: Yeah, we what? were uh, getting ready to do the Holy Moon Project.
2: Oh, that's then. right, the Holy Moon Project. Um, and uh, we talked a little bit about that and a little bit about some of your hopes in the future uh, plans. And I think we're getting closer to those future plans Maybe than we were even then, obviously. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, but thanks, guys, for coming back on the show and talking about what's new in the world of JW and Mark Breyer. Appreciate you guys coming on.
1: Thanks for having us.
2: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. Uh, JW, let's start with you. Uh, uh, We obviously, we've had some listeners that have joined us and may not have heard that original interview. Can you give us a little bit of your background? I know that you have a background that. In broadcasting, um, but uh, also in writing, you have a long history. So maybe tell us just a little bit about that so we can kind of establish that for our listeners.
1: Sure. Well, I've been in broadcasting uh, for about 20 years, a little over 20 years. Um, had a production company, worked at ESPN, Fox Sports, History and Travel, the list goes on. And uh, had a Fox News radio station for a while. And uh, after that, just devoted myself pretty much to writing. And i um, been writing screenplays and books. i and, uh, got two series with Holy Moon and uh, The Nordic and also The Paul Hawkins and some Mysteries, which will be coming out later this year. That's, that one's well overdue. Um, and doing them with Mark Brer, who's uh, the illustrator and uh, the cover artist for the books. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been going pretty strong. And, and, of course, you know, people think when you, when you write that you have all this free time. Yeah, and it takes so much to, to put out a book, and uh, the cover art and, the, and good material really makes it makes it make them good series.
2: Hmm. Now, your your first novel, if I'm correct, that was a, a Rift of His Own in 1998. That's a, about 15 years ago. Uh, how did you get start, How did you get started writing that novel? What made you say, you know what, I want to write this novel?
1: Well, and I'll tell you that that novel has gone through about seven rewrites <laughs> okay. since then, and it—I mean—it it has changed for uh, genre so many times. It's coming out here next month, yeah, in the in the final rewrite. Um, been some revisions to it, and Mark's going to be doing the uh, the cover art for that. And uh, it's basically, you know. In the 90s, I was uh, I was big into poetry. I was big into, into screenplays and also uh, just trying to get... It was the first actual novel I'd ever written, and it was an enormous undertaking. It was about 300-some pages, and I whittled it down to about... I think we're at around 250 now. But, um, you know, I'll tell you, my taste in, in, in writing had, had changed in, in the 20 years I've been kind of uh, doing it. We didn't have Kindle. You know, back in the 90s, we didn't have all the self publishing right. and all that, and all these, uh, these new avenues and opportunities that indie authors have today. So, I mean, you, it really was a chore because you had to, you know, you were doing about 20 submissions at a time and getting about, you know, 19 of them back, you know, hey, sorry, you know, we're not interested. And uh, it, it was real disheartening, you know, back, back mm-hmm. in the old days. And now with uh, the opportunity to be an indie author and, and be your own publisher, um, it, it's an incredible market. And I think, you know, you have, they always talk about the big seven, you know, the big seven publishers out there. And, you know, why would you? Why would any indie author go that route? Because, you know, you're, you're going to make so much more in royalties. Your turnaround time for getting the book out is enormously quicker. It's the difference between two weeks and two years. You know, um, and going the traditional route, there again, you know, there's no promise that they're going to do any marketing for you, so you end up doing your own work anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, So you might as well get paid for it, and it's the difference between making five percent off a book or or ninety percent off that book. Right. It's kind of a no brainer, really, if you're if you're willing to put forth the effort. But when I uh, when I did a riff of his own, you know, that was that was the challenge to get that first book out, Mm -hmm. and um, it 's funny it 's like once you get over that hill, you understand it 's not it 's not quite as scary as you thought it was going to be, so you keep doing it mm. you know, and you just hope that that passion for writing stays with you
2: now um, you mentioned some good things in a lot of ways, your role as an author then is kind of has kind of changed from trying to sell your book to the Big Seven or maybe any other publisher that that 's out there to not only putting the book together and putting it out, but then doing your own marketing and therefore a lot of your legwork, a lot of your energies has probably been, have probably shifted from trying to attract, you know, the big publisher to sell your book and publish your book to take your book out there and let me, uh, let me promote the heck out of it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, in today's world, you have so much online marketing and that's pretty much your market at all. Um, Because, you know, it's hard to get into some of the bookstores um, and the biggest one that's still out there. You know, I don't know if I can mention them or not, but, um, you know, it's just knocking on their doors is is tough, Mm. you know, because they're very skittish because they understand that there's about 500,000 plus indie authors scurrying around out there, you know, (laughs) trying to do it, you know, but look at it under a microscope there's really only about 1% one, one to, to 5% of those writers that are serious about mm-hmm. being an indie author. The rest of them, maybe they finally got that book done and now they're just worn out, you know? They don't, and the others, they don't. They just don't know what to do as far as marketing, they don't have a background for that. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, I mean, you know, being in, in production and in broadcasting, I, I kind of have an understanding for what needs to get done, um, and it, it's a lot of work. You know, you think, just because the book's done that that's all you have to do and that's when the work actually begins
2: <laughs> and that can be disheartening for someone that's put a lot of elbow grease into the, um, into the you know, into revising rewriting their book and saying okay my book's complete now to discover that they've only in a sense just started as far as selling the book
1: it, it is because you know, I think a, a lot of people they, they put their book out and they just kind of hope by some magical power it's just going to take off you know, and, I, and I think it's more authors than not that, that have that uh, illusion, I guess. And, but the thing is, is that for me, when I finish a book, the last thing I want is for that book to fail because I've put so much work in, into the creation of it. Right. Um, and you know, back in, when I was producing, um, you know, I wanted to get in, here in the Midwest, the big thing that we would produce were, were sports. You know, Big Ten's really, really popular around here got the Colts and uh, Notre Dame and Purdue and all that around here but I really wanted to escape out of that and get into the sci-fi genre and I you know work in places like Vancouver back when uh, the Stargate series and Smallville were being produced there and that's the scene I really wanted to be a part of so I started I switched from from writing novels to, to doing screenplays and um, a lot of people don't know it but Back in the 90s, um, I submitted a screenplay for the finale of Beverly Hills 90210 through my agent. And um, it didn't get anywhere, but, you know, that too was an accomplishment, you know. For oh, yeah. Because um, I think only so many people were were able to do that. But, um, and I'll just say, just for the record, if they had gone with my, with my script, that show would still be on the air today. So,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I found a twist to keep it running, but... Um, but, you know, I have a lot of fun writing screenplays in, in you know, uh, the Nordic, uh, or the sci-fi series that Mark and I work on. Um, you know, that started out as a script. I submitted it back in 2010 to uh, BBC and also Sky over in Britain. Um, and I was using NBC's model for Battlestar Galactica, how they, how they did that, because um, when it, it, you may remember, it, it started over, overseas in England on the on the bbc or was you no know, sky over there that that it was on and uh you know and i kind of thought you know i bet nbc is using that as kind of a test market before they bring it back here you know because it, it was a different battlestar galactica than, than you know, the one from the 70s the one that we in, grew up watching you know and uh and i thought that might be a smart way to do it you know it hit hit a smaller area probably have more opportunity uh, less competition and uh, maybe it would actually get picked up. I didn't hear anything back, and when I put it out as an actual book, you know, I had uh, some of the fans that were reading it came back and said this would be an awesome TV show or a comic book. Well, I'd already tried the TV route, and I thought about I looked into the into a whole comic book industry, and it was a lot like producing, except you didn't have a crew. You didn't have um, equipment to, met, to worry about. It was a, pretty much like storyboarding you know, an entire show, mm. and uh, I, I really kind of started to enjoy what I was seeing in the comic book industry and um, get hyped up, and of course, Comic-Con, you know, anybody who would follow that, uh, it's kind of hard not to get excited, oh, so yeah. we got uh, we got interested in it, and Mark came on board, and incredible artist that he is, just solid work, you know, coming from him, and, um, and hopefully the writing's just as good as the the uh, the illustrations in there, uh, but I think all together uh, the book series and the comic series is um, going to be a pretty stellar opportunity for us.
2: Well, very good. Well, I want to come back to you in a bit, JW. Let me let's talk to Mark here a little bit. Uh, Mark, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. What what made you kind of get into illustration and uh, cover art, and, and now delving into the world of comics? Tell me a little bit about your background in this.
3: Well. Um like many uh artist types i had been uh you know interested in drawing since i was a kid and i wanted to draw anything that i could get my hands on and uh that led into uh obviously go you know learn doing a lot of art in high school going to arts art school in college um and then uh starting a series of jobs in the art world and uh, my career began in graphic design doing a lot of uh uh, work designing brochures and uh, logos and business cards and marketing materials and things like that. It's kind of a uh, it was exciting at the beginning but you know that that kind of work compared to the exciting work of the comic book world wasn't as exciting um but all this work started before computers so i learned most of my art training before computers ever came along so that meant you know uh everything had to be pasted down on a board or if you wanted to put type with something you had to use what they called press type and you had to get everything photographed so uh... i learned a good basis of a lot of how to do the solid foundations of art and then of course the digital age came along and i had some opportunities to move into agency work at uh... an ad agency and became a uh... partner with an ad agency in uh, a smaller town in western maryland and uh... Became uh, the vice president of creative services there and did a lot of design work, um, doing uh, anything from new clients, from new uh, um, promotions for, for clients, introducing new products. Uh, it expanded my horizons even more. And then uh, worked into doing some more work with uh, with uh, marketing companies. And uh, about, I guess, I don't know, 11 or I guess about five years ago, things sort of started fell apart and um, the job that I was at downsized and I decided to go out on my own and start my own business so I do right now I do graphic design illustration I do anything from uh, children's books uh, for amazon.com I do uh, illustrations for a variety of clients locally in Indianapolis and as well as some national things as well so uh, and of course when I met along with, uh, with Jay there uh, the opportunity to get more into comics was exciting, and I had done some some comics on a limited basis, but um, this was even I think was a whole lot better opportunity. He had an outstanding idea, or several outstanding ideas and concepts, which I thought were good, because that's the number one thing for a comic artist when you're really when you're looking for something out there. You've got a, you know, there's a lot of people out there with ideas for comic books, but very few have some solid concepts. And and Jay had those, and uh, that's, you know, the main reason why I jumped on board. And I guess the rest is history. And we're in the middle of it right now.
2: Now, how did you, how, how did you end up uh, discovering Jay? I guess you can say, or maybe Jay discovering you.
3: I think it was uh, over the web. Um, he had put out yeah. a. a wasn't that the, how it worked out, Jace? I yeah. can't remember every detail, but... I was searching for uh, for
1: a, an artist when I got serious about doing the Nordic as a comic, because, uh, I mean, I'll screw up a stick figure, you know? <laughs> I mean, uh, but, uh, and, and Mark's seen some of my art, and to his credit, he hasn't really commented on it. So. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I went through... Uh, there were several artists that, that had applied, you know, and I, some of them knew knew of me and stuff and I think they were excited to work with me but it was it you know you either have what I'm looking for or you don't and I think that's that's true for anybody you know uh, it, it's true for actors it's true for you know whoever but um, you know when when I saw Mark's work I mean it was spot-on with exactly what I was looking for you know you could tell when you looked at, at Mark's uh, illustrations he was a professional and he knew you know what the market was. Um, he wasn't just trying; he was already there, um, as far as skill. And you know, I we are both adults. You know, we're not—we're not in our twenties. We're not trying to make it happen. You know, it's—it's it's a thing where we've been doing this for a while, both of us, and, and we're making it happen. Um, because, like Mark said, I mean, you have to—you know—good story and, and good illustrations. That you know—that's that the level of for a lot of publishers that's what they look for you know is is this somebody who's serious about doing this or is this somebody who's looking at it as maybe a hobby and you know they're going to go off and do something else the rest of their life or whatever um... but it's it's funny because i I just want to mention when mark was talking about um, doing his his work before computers it i reverted back to you know gee how old am i because when i started i had a typewriter in whiteout I don't think I don't think a lot of writers today know how easy they have it.
2: Oh yeah, no doubt, sure. no doubt. Now, uh, Mark, you mentioned that you worked for Amazon. What do you mean by that?
3: Uh, I work for Amazon's uh, um, online publishing branch called CreateSpace, okay. and uh, they um, publish, you know, they uh, self-publish uh, books for people, for folks that are wanting to. Uh, um, just get their books out there. And I do uh, book covers and um, illus- interior illustrations for several products. So what they basically do is they'll, uh, they're will they almost like uh, an agent in a way. They uh, submit projects to, to me and I decide whether I can do them or not. But um, most of them I do do because I get a lot of experience that way. But uh, it's a lot of fun stuff. I get to do some children's books. I get to do some adventures. get to do some uh, uh, fantasy stuff. So it's uh, it's pretty good, and they've turned out to be a pretty regular customer.
1: And we use uh, CreateSpace for the paperbacks.
2: Okay. <laughs> it's true. Now, ha- ha- have you always used CreateSpace, or have you have you tried other uh, indie publishers?
1: For myself? Yeah. Uh, not really. Not really, because I'll tell you, I I did an exclusive with uh, Kindle, um, and the reason why I use CreateSpace is because they are uh, an Amazon company, you know, just like Kindle, and when you look at being an indie author, um, you want to go where the money is, and when you look at the little pie chart, you know, at the end of every month that that you make for yourself, and if you're a good business person, you, you do that pie chart at the end of the month, so you can see where you're at. Kindle's always going to outsell everybody. They're going to outsell the Nook. They're going to outsell, pub, um, you know, several of the other online, you know, ebook publishers and stuff like that. But I'd say seventy to eighty percent of your sales are going to go through Amazon in some fashion, whether in the paperback on Amazon.com or on Kindle. And when you know they asked me to do an exclusive, you know, just with them, it was kind of a no-brainer. You know they're right. going to do some free marketing for me, and you know, and no matter how much you know people may like the Nook or they or whatever else is out there, the Kindles by far the the, the largest base for indie authors out there.
2: Okay, very good. I haven't I you knew that's new. I've I haven't. Uh, I've been familiar with you know stuff like Lulu dot com and some other things that's been out there. So. Very cool. Very cool. Well, let's get into a little bit about some of the stories. We've been kind of skirting around the fact that you've been working on the Nordic as a screenplay, and then it was novelized, and also a little bit about uh, Holy Moon. Why don't we recap and talk a little bit about Holy Moon and get into the Nordic, since that's really where you're headed in the next couple of, uh, in the upcoming, uh, I guess, couple quarters that are coming out as far as comic book form but let's uh, before we hit that let's talk about Holy Moon um, you now you were gracious enough to send me uh, uh, kindle copies of both the Nordic and Holy Moon and I opted to start with Holy Moon and I'm loving the story I'm only oh about eight chapters into it because summer's busy for me but, um, uh, but I'm enjoying this guy that's just struggling to kind of maintain his sanity and his balance and do the right thing and have these other forces kind of working against them. Tell us a little bit about the story of Holy Moon.
1: Well, in the first book, it, I, I like to think of it as... because it is an ongoing series, so there's plenty of time to delve into to other issues. But it's kind of... A, for me, it's kind of an introduction to the Holy Moon world, you know? The Holy Moon series is really going to be... and I don't think anybody else has done this. is going to be a series of trilogies. Um, and we start off with... Uh, the main character, Peter Foreman, which the series is all around. It's based around him, and um, he's a he's a, a Christian werewolf. And when I came up with that idea, it was basically you know I was thinking I was reading there was an interview on a on a radio show where um, this ex, this werewolf expert was talking, and he was saying that he would really like to see you know a werewolf that was more of a guardian you know, like a guard dog kind of thing, like a, like a hero werewolf instead of always these, these werewolves that, you know, always slash and, and, and kill and run around with their shirt off and stuff. And the yeah, same old story over and over again. And I thought, you know, that's, that is a nice twist, you know, and it was an idea I had had, but here I'm hearing it from somebody else and I'm like, yeah, maybe I should go with that. And I thought it's just taking another a step further, you know, and cause it's funny how the development process works, you know, and then, I I think, why don't we just go ahead and make him a a Christian and have that duality, you know, that he has to wrestle with. I Mm. couldn't think of a greater duality than, you know, um, a crisis of conscience and, you know, not being able to to help yourself, you know, because you've become this this, uh, devilish monster, you know. Um, And I didn't want to take it to an extreme. I didn't want it to be a religious book, but I I just wanted it to be an ingredient in the storyline, you know. So you would have that internal struggle as well as an outward struggle with being the, the werewolf and the things that happen when you are one. Um, but uh, and you know, it, in the first book, we find we were introduced to Peter and um, and of course, you know, he uh, how most werewolves change is they were bitten you know, and you know, kind of like the vampire syndrome a little bit. But um, but he was, you know, uh, he was bitten. 10 years previously. And he's in that, that decade, he learned how to adjust. And he took a job as a real estate agent because, you know, if you think about it and I didn't want to make him a cop, I didn't want to make him a doctor. I'm I'm fed to the teeth with all the shows I see with everybody's a detective, you know?
2: Right. But, uh,
1: so I made him a real estate agent because he has to have his own schedule. You know, if he's going through these changes, he can't have a boss, you know, that he has to report to every day. Um, it's just not going to be—it's not going to be real, you know—that he can do that. So he has a pretty free lifestyle. He makes good money. He lives in a prosperous neighborhood. Nobody would ever suspect that he's a werewolf, you know. Everybody likes him in the neighborhood. Um, you're, you're probably reading where you know there's some who's who in, in his neighborhood.
2: Right, the judge and so on.
1: Yeah, and and you know, and it's it's good security for him because now he's friends with the upper elite of his community. And, you know, if he gets into trouble, maybe they can be there to help him later on, you know. Uh, but he the one that bit him is, is looking for him, realizes that he's still around and, you know, wants to bring him into the pack. And, of course, Peter doesn't want to go. You know, he doesn't want to be a part of that pack because, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of the evil werewolves. You know, they're not the good ones. Hmm. And, um, you know, and it, it's, it's, that, it's the, pretty much the story for the first book and it's a good introduction, I think, to to Peter Foreman and and his life as a werewolf.
2: Very good, very good. And so, we have the first book out. Uh, You said this is going to be a trilogy. What are you looking at as far as the release of the future of this trilogy?
1: Uh, Book two should be out this fall. Okay. Um, And it's going to have a storyline pretty much where he has to, he'll be probably leaving his town and um, you know, going off because now he's, you know, and I won't spoil it for you, but uh, something happens at the end that um, sets him on a, on a one book journey somewhere else, you know, in book three, and he'll come back and um, start his life again. But um, he has to go find, you know, the wolf that, the, the head wolf, so that he can, re, you know, get rid of this curse because um, prayer doesn't seem to be helping. So you'll have to be doing that. Uh, you may have noted, um, Paul Hawkinson made, makes an appearance in the first book. Hmm. Um,
2: they, yeah, they I don't meet. know from there yet, but
1: okay. Well, he, he'll, he'll meet, uh, Paul Hawkinson cause they're from the same town and Paul Hawkinson has his own series, the Paul Hawkinson mysteries. And it's a, it's kind of my goal to bring the Nordic Holy moon and uh, the Paul Hawkinson mysteries into, uh, one series for a short spell and have all these characters working together.
2: That would be interesting. Like a whole crossover thing.
1: Exactly, yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: All right. Very good. And uh, so, uh, Mark, you did the cover work for this novel, is that correct?
3: Yes, I did.
2: And I saw that I saw the website had a bunch of different concept art from it. How did you go ahead establishing that this was the cover you're going to go with? What kind of influenced you as you looked at the uh, creating the cover for this novel?
3: Well, um, of course, there was a lot of a lot of back and forth between Jay and I, and because um, when you. As you know, as you're reading the story, you can tell it's a different story. It's not. It's not your standard hack and slash, out of control, crazy werewolf story. That's only. You know, it's just if there's not blood, there's nothing else. This was a different story. It had a, different elements in it. There were struggles that were different, but yet the werewolf this the standard werewolf kind of idea was there but it was a different story so i wanted to kind of bring that to the cover somehow we didn't want to just have the normal werewolf howling at the moon or uh, um you know a generic werewolf that we would see um on, a, on another cover and to to be frank with you we we went through quite a few and there were uh Several covers that uh, I, I did, and, and to be really honest with you, you know, um, Jay would look at a couple and he would say, "This just looks like something I'd see on the romance novel rack in the." <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and I would think, "Oh, okay, I guess we're not really going the right direction here."
1: <laughs> I felt so bad after I'd said that. <laughs> oh. So,
3: but I, I I appreciate that kind of thing when you know when you're working with someone because. At least you know, okay, but we've hit somewhere where we don't we definitely don't want to go, and you can start really developing the, the right direction pretty quickly, and there's not a lot of tiptoeing around or uh patting on the back or everything, you know, and it takes you forever to get something done. But we worked together and worked we wanted to get the the spiritual element in there as well without like Jay said, without beating you over the head with it. Um you know, it wasn't uh you know, uh, a Christian uh, preaching novel. It's it it's, it has the Christian element, but it has uh, adventure as well. And but we wanted to have that in there. We still wanted to have the darkness, the the uh, the the struggles, the the picture of the werewolf. So we kind of that's kind of how we developed what we had. And um, we wanted to have that cross in there because when you see that cover, you think there's a werewolf, you know, crawling through these dark passageways with and he's holding a cross and you're thinking what is that so it is you know jay and i have talked once before or several times that when you're trying to sell a book through an online service through kindle or amazon your cover has got to catch someone's attention or no one's gonna open it up or look at it so we wanted something that was gonna hook you a little bit
2: right and in the fact that you have these two in a sense Images you do, that you don't typically see together causes people to, I don't know, kind of ups their interests and uh, kind of lures them into the book a little bit, right? So yeah, very good. And I love the uh, the fact that you're this. It's like it's not just a cross; it's an ornate cross. I mean, you have a pretty decorative cross that he's holding. Yeah, uh, so very, very, very cool. Uh, let's talk about the Nordic. So we have the Nordic. Nordic's been out last time we podcasted. It was out, I think, already in paperback form. And uh-huh. or was coming out, and now we're looking at a comic book. We want to talk about that process in just a bit. Uh, but, Jay, can you just real briefly tell our listeners, for those who are just joining us there this for this interview, the first time hearing you guys, what is The Nordic about?
1: Well, The Nordic's about uh, a young man named William Davidson. Um, he works at a, at a radio station part-time in the news department, and he's also a semi-pro rugby player. It uh, lives over in England, um, Sunbury, England, and I wanted to, to put it over there, uh, have the story placed there, because it, it focuses a lot on what's on, um, you know, kind of the ancient alien theories and stuff like that. But the investigation really had to take off overseas in in the European continent um, because it had to be somewhere. I wanted it close to Norway, but not in Norway. Um, and basically he's, uh, you may have heard, you know, we've all heard about the Greys, we've all heard about the Reptilians, you know, as far as, um, you know, alien species and whatever. Some people may or may not know about, uh, I'd say, a third most popular species called the Nordics. And I, you know, you'd think with me being Norwegian-American, would that would have been the first species I would have heard of, you know, mm-hmm. um, in studying uh, with an interest in, in sci-fi and, and uh, in alien UFO stuff. But I just heard about him, um, I think, back in 2006. And I uh, had a buddy who was kind of into paranormal stuff at, at the radio station that I was working at. And um, he would be on a station down the hall, and I'd be on, a, on the rock and roll station down the hall. And we, of course, you know, during breaks, we'd, we'd chat, you know. And uh, he just fascinated me with the, these stories. These Nordics, um, they're, you know, they stand between six, seven, eight feet tall, blonde hair, blue-eyed a uh, little pale skin look just like us for the most part um, and you know can blend in very well with society. but um, you know when I when I looked at it I over the over the number of years of you know I don't want to say fascinated by you know this possible alien species that, that you know could be out there but um, but just the similarity to us, you know I thought, you know that would be for a, a good story but what kind of story would that be so i took the next several years and i just kind of slowly let it let it gel together in my head and uh came up with you know uh from watching like ancient aliens on on the history network and all that uh would give me ideas and i'd listen to some other podcasts and and radio shows that deal with paranormal stuff and, and ufos and it also gave me some ideas it all boiled down to uh what we have in the Nordic with. Uh, Um, With William Davidson, and that he's approached by one of these Nordics uh, called Bertil. Um, It turns out that uh, William has the closest to most perfect DNA over all these generations as an actual Nordic. He's a descendant of the Nordics. We're all descendants of some alien species in the book. Um, None of us are are really indigenous to planet Earth. We were all brought here by somebody else, and that's the mystery. throughout it that we've we're living amongst different aliens every day. We just mm. don't know it because we're all human now. Right. Um, and could you have heard uh, maybe like the Sumerian Sumerian tale that you know like they took the ape man or whatever and did some hybrid stuff to him and made him what we are today. Mm. You know, an intelligent, you know, ape man, I guess that you could say. And for the Nordics, the the story would, would be that they descended here, you know, thousands of years ago. Um, the The one thing that I always found peculiar was, okay, you had life in the Middle East and in Africa, but then you had this you know entirely kind of uh, Caucasian tribe that came out of the cold tundra of the northern Europe continent. Well, how did life start there? Where did they come from you know and so that's kind of where the story kind of starts is that not in the not in the first book but for the for the storyline for uh, for the Nordic species is that you know they had to come from outer space you know in the book. so they descended down here and um, set up a station you know probably in Norway and just started making their way down south and William and Bertil are on this hunt to find the, the truth about human history because it, it's a very complicated story but it it, it, it comes together uh, I think really well you know in, in written form because um, it's a—it's kind of like mixing Doctor Who, The X-Files, and Stargate all into one book.
2: That's a bunch of awesomeness right there. Yeah. <laughs> now, Ma- Mark, when you did the cover for this book, I noticed in the cover we have uh, this this creature, at least uh, Nordic Reunion. That is the first book. Is that correct? Right. Yeah, so yeah. The, the cover has this guy standing there with light up from his hands, Uh, does not look like the man that Jay's describing. Can you tell us a little bit about this guy?
3: Well, we wanted something, again, um, we were, you know, looking for an image that would catch attention, um, where we were looking for a, rather than just putting, uh, you know, an image of one of the characters on the cover, um, or you know like a, a montage of the characters uh because sometimes you know when you're scrolling through looking at all these books sometimes these things all start looking the same so we wanted something different that we'd maybe take a a little a more of a of a more of a total complete sci-fi look at this rather than just your standard thing so we got a found this image of a statue that was real. that's actually in the, the real world and we kind of went off of that idea and um, as being actually integrated into the into the story and, in a ways that uh, some of the alien cultures communicated. So we wanted to kind of show you know something unusual that looked very, very futuristic, unusual maybe that connected to something ancient that brought you to something futuristic as well. So, uh, again, something, trying to make something look different and make you want to look deeper.
1: Mm. Well, that statue is actually in Norway.
3: Yes, it is.
1: And um, you may read in the, in the first part of the book, we, in, or at least the, uh, in the comic as well, that um, there's a, a thing called the, the Svaldberg's uh, Seed Vault up in, uh, right, in Norway. Right. All the seeds in the world are, are kind of kept. And that was, in, in the story, it was uh, a design influenced by the Nordics to the Norwegian government to do that. Um, cause if you, you know, one thing, if you read Dan Brown, his books, he likes taking real life things and, and things that really exist and just giving them a little twist, mm. you know, to, to work them in the story. And we're kind of doing the same thing, you know, on an alien conspiracy basis with, with real life things in, in our world
3: and in the
2: Nordic. Mm. Yeah, very true. And that, and, and that, that makes it, I think a little more, um, Interesting when you blend the the real with the fantasy.
1: Do you remember? Uh, I think it was in December eighth, back in two thousand nine, when that um, that big ball of uh, that vortex, that blue vortex over Norway, happened.
2: Right. Right. And
1: nobody. And then it came out like a week later that it was a Russian missile that had gone haywire. Right. And everybody, of course, believed that. Right. Right. But, of course. But, you know, in the book, that's how Bertil came to Earth. That was the portal. You know. Oh, and nice. It was, too big for, to, to be covered up you know, so pretty much the whole country saw it but they didn't yeah. know what it was
2: So you're transitioning the Nordic Reunion into comic book form what is this process like for you uh, as an author and then I want to hear from Mark and find out what the process is like uh, from an artist's point of view but for you as an author how how does this work? You have a novel written, it was a screenplay originally it's now a novel and now you're transitioning it into comic book form
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's a lot easier for me than it is for Mark. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, because, it, 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 there's a trade-off, you know. Because when I write the books, you know, that's that's my heavy work, and he he just has to do the cover. Uh, for the comic book, you know, I just have to write, you know, I just have to put out the the script, which is whittled down to about what maybe 14 pages, Mark.
3: Yeah, something like that. Yep. So I mean, and, you know, I can, I'll do that in a day
1: you know and he the, the bulk of the work for him though is doing the illustrations for it, right so you know we we, we we share a big load you know you know for, for both projects but there's also a minor load trade off you know depending on when we switch over to the other project right right and you know and there's things I have more license I think with the comic book as far as writing because there's visuals you know and I don't have to explain everything you know uh with text so um, there are things in the comic that aren't in the book you know just because it's, it's easier for me to, to, to show it right. you know with Mark's illustrations
2: hmm so Mark for you taking a book that you illustrated the cover for and now putting it into comic book form um, is there a crossover between how you illustrate or is this a new type of illustration a new type of way of telling the story for you
3: uh, yeah, it's it would be more of a new thing um, because you're, you know, with the with the book cover, the Nordic book cover, it was something that we it was kind of a one shot, kind of a, you know, take a uh, an image, you know, a snapshot of the story and put it on the cover. With the comic, you really have to start. You really have to. It's a progression. It's you're telling a story. Everything has to be um, paced. Um, story developed, things revealed in a way that would be entertaining and exciting visually as well as the story. And again, you know, I always like to emphasize that if you don't have a good solid story, you know, there's no way that, a, that any kind of art is going to save something like that. And um, that's why I'm glad we have this story. And I was excited to get started on it because it was a neat idea, as I, as I had mentioned before, that when I had heard uh, Jay talking about the idea, I thought, okay, this is this is a different twist on on an alien story, and uh, as you know, we we know we've all heard millions of alien stories, but I think we're always looking for something a little bit different with a little bit of a twist that even that even Jay mentioned there, you know, and and that sometimes that that's all it takes. But yes, the process is different. And, uh, and it's, it's also fun in a way for, for the artist as well as it's, it's a lot of work, as Jay mentioned, but it's, it's also fun creating and bringing the stuff to life.
2: Hmm. Well, very, very cool. So Jay, tell us the, the, as far as the evolution goes, when are we looking at this comic and maybe I should be asking Mark this, when are we looking at this, uh, comic book form of the Nordic being released?
3: Well we're we're wanting to get it out, you know, as soon as we can. Um, obviously, we both have have work that we do uh, you know in our in our jobs as well. Um, so we're trying to work together. It's not something that we're doing full time, but we're working the best we can back and forth. There's been delays and, and jumps jumps forward. so it's we're trying to bring it, as we mentioned once before, you know, hopefully, you know, towards the end of this year, you know, third, fourth quarter of the year, to get it going because um, you know if we want to get it out there because the the story's out there, the the novel is out there, and it's only it only make, makes sense to follow it up with the uh, visual interpretation as well. Now, go, go ahead, Jeff. Just,
1: just to be clear, I mean it's going to start out as a webcomic. Okay. Um, and it's going to be up to, uh, to you know, one of the publishers that we're talking to to decide, you know, who's going to get it and, um, before it goes into print form. But, okay. Yeah.
2: And will that be available then? Will that will the comic be available through your site or will you have to go to Amazon to get it? I mean, how is it?
1: Basically anywhere that, you know, most people, you know, buy web comics because, know, you know, I would say the major sites.
2: Okay. Very good.
1: Where they're going to, it's going to be available.
2: Um very good. Well, we are running a bit long here, but before we go, I want to talk a little bit about you you have a Paul Hawkins. Is that Am I saying the name right? The Paul Hawkins Mysteries?
1: Paul Hawkinson.
2: Oh, thank you. Paul Hawkinson Mysteries. Tell us a little bit about that because I think that last time we were on, this was not something that we talked about.
1: Yeah, it was it was um it was too far down the road, I think, at the time to even bring it up. Okay. But he's a Paul Hawkinson Mysteries is really a conspiracy-based series, and you know, it, one of our first interviews together, you know, Mark and I were off the air talking, and I think between the, the the werewolf series, the sci-fi series, and this conspiracy series, we've we've covered about as much paranormal stuff as we can we can do. Probably. <laughs> you no, know, I can't think of anything else. But um, it's a story about um, Paul Hawkinson is a psychological operations, special operations guy. He was uh, tagged Special Forces, he wasn't in Special Forces, he was just adjacent to them in, in the United States Army. And uh, because of budget cuts, you know, he was about 15 years in and he was, you know, uh, cut. So five years from retirement, he's a little, you know, he's a little upset. He doesn't know what to do, be, you know, and, re- and he goes back home and doesn't know what to do as far as a job because all his training has been in PSYOPs, you know, and he He doesn't know how to use that in in the civilian world. Mm. And uh, he he starts out by, you know, uh, just trying to get into his daily life and gets a call from from his cousin out in Denver. And, uh, you know, she suspects that her friend was murdered and it's been covered up as an accident, but she feels different. So he flies out there, and, you know, because of his training, he's able to um, be a pretty good investigator. You know, he can see things that other people can't see because of his training. And he also has a lot of contacts in the government because he was, you know, in a part of SOCOM, his special operations. And, um, you know, and he was he was like the best of the best, you know, when he was in. And he uses those talents and, you know, really he ends up fighting what we discover is kind of a worldwide mafia and that they're still around and, and that they're not just around, they've taken over. Mm. And, I mean the government and everything, and you always hear about this one-world government thing, and they're they're kind of uh, they're beyond you know the realms of Chicago and New York and Las Vegas now. Now they're kind of held, you know, they're part of Bilderberg, they're part of uh, all these you know secret organizations and stuff. And Paul's just trying to get down, you know, to to find out you know how to break this, you know, and it's a it's a big mystery about how he does that and, and all the little intricacies that come with that. And just like with the Nordic, you know, we will we, we'll use real life uh, stories and, and, and stuff that's out there in the media, in the storyline, and it's just enough, you know, to, to make readers kind of go, huh, wonder if there is something to that.
2: Right. Well, very fun, very fun. And so, um, as we look at like the Paul Hawkinson and even stuff like, uh, Holy Moon, uh, so you're converting the Nordic into a comic book series. Any plan down the road to convert some of the other series into comic books?
1: Definitely Holy Moon.
2: Definitely, Definitely. Holy Moon.
1: Yeah. I've thought I've toyed with Paul Hawkinson as a comic. I'm just not sure. Right. Because I mean, you remember the X Files in comic book form didn't do so well.
2: No, it didn't.
1: And you know, and, and it would pretty much be on the same you know, story level. I, I don't know if Paul would survive in comic book form.
2: Mm, yeah, I don't yeah, I don't know either. Um, by the way, did you see the uh, the tweets uh, or the, what they were talking about? They had the 20th anniversary reunion of X-Files at San Diego Comic-Con.
1: No, I didn't. That, I, they, uh,
2: they, had, okay. uh, they had Chris Carter and uh, Gillian Anderson and Dave Duchovny and uh, Oh Vince Gillian, uh, one of the other guys that's on the show, all there just chatting, and they came into the darkened room with flashlights. It was awesome. <laughs> So I was totally having like, I mean, X-Files for me will still go down as being probably one of my favorite shows of all time. Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: So, yeah, yeah why it hasn't done better in, in, in the film genre, I think, just comes down to writing.
2: Yeah, probably.
1: And, if they, if, and I know that they want to do a third one, you know, but it's just getting the studio to say yes, but they really, I think, at some point, they've just got to give the audience what they want. And with the first two films, I don't think they've done that.
2: Well, the first, the first, the, I think the first film worked because it tied into the actual show. It was like a season five to season six. It tied in as a bridge, uh, mm-hmm. so I think that would work. But then when when you had the next one, uh, you know, X Files, whether or not they, you know, wanted to play this way or not. It was Monster of the Week, but there was a huge mythology that they were following, an alien mythology that they just didn't address at all. Yeah. And I think people yeah. were expecting that as well in the second movie. And while I personally enjoyed the second movie, it obviously was not quite what people were hoping for, so. If
3: it's X-Files at all, I'll watch
2: it. Yeah, basically, I'll, basically. i
3: see it. Well, if I can jump in real quick, um, I have recently seen that they've actually restarted the X Files comic, and I don't remember, I can't remember, I apologize, the publisher. Hmm. But I believe they've started it again. um, I bet it's IDW. It might be. So we'll see.
2: Yeah, who knows? Uh, Who knows? You know, as long as, you know, if it lives on in any form, it kind of gives fans at least a little bit about. what they want, so yeah, um, sure. I'm trying to see if there's anything real quickly on it, but
1: um, you remember uh, Mark? Uh, he he did the uh, artwork for the Star Trek uh, with your buddies.
3: And what what was their name? Oh, Bye Bye Robot.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. You 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 are working with. Uh, are you still working with Bye Bye Robot? Yes, I am. Awesome. We love those guys. Chris and Charity are great.
3: Yes, they are very much. I haven't uh, spoken to them personally, but I've done a lot of email back and forth and uh, excellent excellent guys for sure
2: yeah Both we, of them we, are. yeah we've had them on the show and I have a I have a picture of one of the enterprises sitting on my wall right here. I'm staring at from by that robot so excellent so excited <laughs> yeah definitely excited about that um, well. Let's uh, before we wrap up the show here, let's tell people where they can find uh, these awesome books that we've been talking about, the future comic book, where we can find this stuff right now, where's a good place to send them if they want to find out more information about uh, J.W., what you're doing, and also, Mark, maybe where they can find out a little bit about what's going on in your world.
1: Well, primarily, I mean, they can find it at Amazon.com or Kindle. Um, You can look us up on Facebook under the Nordic or Holy Moon um the website you know for my website's author jwholmes.com and i've also got a uh, a comic website out there for for these projects too which I'll, i believe i have a link on my main site for that and um tons of information there due dates and when stuff's coming out and just everything people could want
2: very good and and how about for you mark where can people find out more information about you
3: uh, well, my my uh, main website for my illustration is uh, lightspeed Online dot com.
2: Okay, Lightspeed Studios great, and that'll point them wherever you uh, need to go, I guess, right?
3: lightspeed studiosline dot com. Yes, yeah,
2: very good. Well, yep. I want to say thank you so much for both of you for coming on the show and chatting about your work together, collaborative, a little bit about your history and what it what it kind of takes to bring these these novels, these comic books uh, to fruition and what goes into kind of marketing them. Yeah, hey, thank
1: you very much for having us.
2: No, I appreciate it. Yeah, I definitely appreciate it. Uh, glad we can make this work and uh, look forward. And I'll let you know when this episode drops here, probably Monday or Tuesday as my guest.
0: Thank you so much for visiting the Sci-Fi Diner. We hope you enjoyed the food, and the service, and the conversations. If you'd like to share your thoughts regarding what we've talked about, or tell us what you're watching or reading, flip open your communicators and contact us at one 508 4343 or click the SpeakPipe link at scifydinerpodcast.com or send an mp3 or typed email to scifidinerpodcast at gmail.com. You can also join the conversation on our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash sci-fi diner. We'll share your thoughts on our listener feedback show. If you'd like to support the diner beyond the conversation, you can always throw some coins in the tip jar at sci-fi diner